I want to say good morning to you if you are watching us online. This is Romford Baptist Church. My name is Jide Faomi, one of the ministers here. I will be leading the service. And later on, we shall be hearing the word of God from Pastor John. For a call to worship this morning, I would like to share with you what I read in my um, quiet time a few weeks ago. And it's what a neuroscientist discovered. And his name is Andrew Newback. He studied the relationship between spiritual phenomena and the brain. And he was able to demonstrate that we were designed physically and mentally to interact with God through prayer and scriptures. And he's also discovered that there are centers in the human brain that respond positively to prayer, reading and meditating on God's words, group worship, in singing, and empathy for other people. So he concluded by saying, if you are worried, worship. If you panic, praise him. And I'm sure many of us will have been worried with what is happening in the entire world now. But irrespective of whatsoever thing that we've come with this morning, let us lay it at Jesus' feet. We are here to worship. We are here to read the scriptures. We are here to sing songs of praises to our God. And that is what we have to do. We have to remain focused, and we have to focus on our Christ, our Savior. So this morning, if you're able to stand, let's stand together. As we sing, he is the Lord, he reigns on high. Father Lord, we thank you for the gift of life. It's your breath that is in our lungs, and that is why we are called a living soul. And for that, we offer you our thanks. And Lord, this morning, we have come to you. Be the center of the service, Lord. Show your power, O oh Lord. Send your power down. Fill this atmosphere with your presence. Let every soul, whether they are here in the building or they are watching us from home, let every soul be touched. Receive all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We take our next song, King of Kings, Majesty.
Am I on? Am I heard? I'm heard. Can you hear me? Yes, even up in the balcony, you're responding this morning. This is good. Okay, well, this morning we're going to continue in our worship, so you're going to have to stand up again. But it's so lovely this morning to look around and see some faces we've not seen in a while and see new faces with us as well. And as part of our worship this morning, we want to join together. And I'm going to invite um, our Tuesday Amaze group to come up. I think quite a few of them are off sick today, so it might only be Sally. But Stephen, if you'd like to come up as well, and we're going to do some Makaton signing for our next song. And anybody else who uh, uses Makaton at all, if you'd like to come up, you're very welcome. Stephen's at the back, Lynn, just behind you, if you'd like to come, only if he wants to, or Addy, anybody else. Um, the signs are going to be up on the screen anyway, but I want to invite you to stand up and to let's worship through the singing of this next song. Many years later, King Belhazar gave a great feast for 1,000 of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. While Belhazar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups that his predecessor Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted to drink from them with his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. So they brought these gold cups they taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. While they drank from them, they praised their idols made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, they saw the finger of a human handwriting on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. The king himself saw the hand as it wrote, and his face turned pale with fright. His knees knocked together in fear, and his legs gave way beneath him. The king shouted for the enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers to be brought before him. Uh, he, he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever can read the writing and tell me what it means will be dressed in purple robes of royal order, and will have a gold chain placed around his neck will become the third highest ruler in the kingdom. But when all the king's wise men had come in, none of them could read the writing or tell what it meant. So the king grew even more alarmed, and his face turned pale. His neighbors, too, were shaken. But when the queen mother heard what was happening, she hurried to the banquet hall. She said to Belhazar, Long live the king. Don't be so pale and frightened. There's a man in your kingdom who has within him the spirit of the holy gods during the goodness But the queen mother heard what was happening. She hurried to the banquet hall. She said to Belshazzar, Long live the king. Don't be so pale and frightened. There is a man in your kingdom who is within him in the spirit of the holy gods. During Nebuchadnezzar's reign, the man was found to have insight, understanding, and wisdom like that of the god. Your predecessor, the king, your predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar, made him chief over all magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers of Babylon. This man, Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar, has exceptional ability and is filled with divine knowledge and understanding, and is, he can interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve different problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought in for the king. 
the king asked him, are you Daniel of the exiles brought from Judah, my predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar? I have heard that you have the spirit of the gods within you and that you are filled with insight, understanding and wisdom. My wise men and enchanters have tried to read the words on the wall and they tell me the meaning, but they cannot do so. I am told that you can give interpretations and solve difficult problems. If you can read these words and tell me of their meaning, you will be clothed in purple robes of royal honour and you will have a gold chain placed around your neck. You will be, you'll become the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Daniel answered the king, keep your gifts or give them to someone else, but I will tell you what the meaning says. Your Majesty, the Most High, Your Majesty, the Most High God, gave sovereignty, majesty, glory, and honor to your predecessor Nebuchadnezzar. He made him so great that the people of all races and nations and languages trembled before him in fear. He killed those he wanted to kill and spared those he wanted to spare. He honored those he wanted honor and disgraced those he wanted to disgrace. But when his heart and mind were puffed with arrogance, he was brought down from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven from human society. He was given the mind of wild animal, and he lived among the wild donkeys. He ate grass like a cow, and he was drenched with the dew of heaven until he learned that the Most High God rules over the kingdoms of the world and appoints every, anyone who desires to rule over them. You are his successor, O Belshazzar, and you knew all this, yet you have not humbled yourself, for you have proudly defied the Lord of heaven and have these, had these cups from his temple brought before you. You and your nobles and your wives and concubines have been drinking wine from them while praising gods of silver, bronze, gold, iron, wood, and stone, gods that neither see nor hear nor know anything at all. But you have not honoured the God who gives you breath of life and controls your destiny. So God has sent this hand to write the message. This is the message that was written, mean, mean, tekel, and parted. This is what these words mean. Mean means numbers. God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. Tekel means weight. You have been weighed on the balances and have not measured up. Parted means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was dressed in purple robes, a gold chain was hung, was hung around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, was killed. And Darius, the Mede, took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. He is not here this morning, so I will be bringing the notices. Yeah. On behalf of everyone here at Home for Baptist Church, we want to send our warmest greetings and congratulations to Brother Samuel Tunde, who clocked 60 yesterday. He's somewhere dodging at the back there. Please, can we sing happy birthday to Brother Samuel? Please come inside. Come inside. Please come, 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 come. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you, sir. 
And so I now go to the notices. We have evening worship online and in person this evening. And the theme is gathering around coffee with Intel Zoe Palmer. We plan to have baptism on Easter Sunday. So if you want to get baptized or you are planning to get one done, please see me or any of the leaders after the service so that we can put together the necessary plans towards that. Tuesday prayer meeting at 8 p.m. Please don't forget it's online. The link is, um, has been sent already if you receive the uh, notices via, the, uh, via your email. Wednesday lunchtime service at 12.45 p.m. this week, it comes up. And on Wednesday, March the 2nd, Wednesday, March the 2nd, 7.45 p.m., church members meeting here. Please, you come in through the side door. Don't forget, Wednesday, 7.45 p.m., church members meeting. Then we have uh, Wednesday at RUBC returns on 9th March. Not this Wednesday, 9th March. We have that. And uh, I think, yes, that's all the notices. Now we have the Be Still promo. starting from 9th of March. Mr. Pomona. Be still and know that I am God. It's an invitation that has echoed throughout history. This regular encounter with God is what we're going to explore on this course. Be still, a simple guide to quiet times. We need to create space in our lives for regular encounter. The space to walk, talk and listen with God. In the quiet time, we allow his heart to touch our hearts. This was the original plan, people encountering God. It's this place where I reflect with awe and reverence and wonder. I realize that for me it works a certain way, but I'm sure it works differently for each one of us. When you talk about an uninterrupted two hours, I don't have an uninterrupted two minutes usually. What if there is value in unseen actions and hidden places? Seeds germinate in darkness. A baby develops for nine months, hidden in the womb. There are some things that he's trying to say to us in the quieter place that prepares us to go out and do the things that he's asked us to do. Just as we are invited in, he also invites us out to the world to share his love with those around us. Father, lead each one of us into a real desire to meet with you more. In Jesus' name, amen.
at this juncture, I just want to say thank you to you all for your uh, donations to the church via offering titan. Um, when we sing the next song, if you still want to make your donation, please make your way out to, uh, you can drop it in the box there, and we have two, and also we have the uh, machine in which you can pay with your card. And also thank you. If you also want to donate via the uh, website, you can do that. And thank you too to all those who have been transferring theirs to the church account. God bless you all. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the opportunity to give back to you. Thank you, O oh Lord, because we know you are the one that giveth power to make wealth. And out of that which you have given to us, we have returned to you. We pray that you will accept and use it to the glory of your name. Right here in this church and beyond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor John. Just before the children go out, I want to do a very quick refresher for all of us. It's a test for the adults' children, okay? So, um, and uh, a little help to you to know what we're talking about in our services. So, I need... A volunteer. I need one person. Oh, one hand went up. Come on then, the one in the middle can come and then the two will help me in a minute, okay? Come on. So when we started the series on Daniel, and thank you to our three readers this morning, as the, the first chapter has gone, we have, we have two chapters again this morning. But when Ian started our series, he gave us a little talk. And he gave us three examples about Daniel throughout the whole story of Daniel. We're only doing two chapters this morning, but I thought we'd do a quick reminder. So Jemima, would you like to sit down? Would anybody remember what the first point was that Ian told us about? What was the person seated representing? Yes. Oh, a gold star for that lady in the front row. <laughs> to be rooted. To be, and I'm going to have to go back to my notes because I can't remember it all. But you're exactly right, Mel. It was about being rooted in God's word, being rooted in his Lord, knowing that God was the one who made all things impossible possible. And that was Daniel's story throughout the whole of Daniel. But we see it really clearly again in the story that's just been read for us. We saw about the handwriting appears on the wall and nobody can interpret this handwriting. And then Daniel was called in because they knew that Daniel would be able to. Why? Because he was rooted in God. His roots went deep. So that's the first point. Okay, second volunteer from that little group of three. Go on then, Poppy. You've got to stand up really tall for me on here, okay? Fantastic. Face that way. Okay, what was the second point that Ian said about? So we've got rooted in God. What was his second point? Going to have to, even Mel's not sure this time. Anyone else help her out? Oh, Mel? Uh, this lady is on fire this morning. Ian, you had one person listening. <laughs> I, no, awesome. Well done, Mel. It's exactly right. It was standing up, standing firm, being willing 
to be counted, not allowing others to knock his faith. Daniel stood up for what he believed. He was willing to stand up and say what God was saying. In this story that we read today again, the queen remembered that Daniel was able to speak up God's words. And so he's brought in because she knew that if anyone in the kingdom could interpret this writing on the wall, it'd be Daniel. And so he gets brought in. Daniel wasn't interested in the presents that were being offered him, the gifts that were being offered. Instead, he was willing to interpret what God was saying. And so our third person, Faseo, come on then. You come over here. You've got quite a hard one, okay? I don't think it'd be hard for you, though. You come and stand on this side. Okay, you've got to stand there and look really determined. Can you give me a really determined face? It means that you're gonna, it's going to happen. If your mum tells you to go to bed and you don't want to, can you give us the look? Oh, no. <laughs> but I bet there's a little bit more attitude in that. That is very well done. Okay, so we've got the look. Is that right, Judy? That's the look. <laughs> it was that attitude of looking forward, not compromising. We're not going to give up. We're not going to compromise. And that was Daniel. And in this story, he had to present a pretty harsh truth, didn't he? He had to interpret exactly what God was saying, even though realistically he was putting his life on the line. And we're going to read another chapter of this book in a few minutes. And it's probably the most famous story out of the new, uh, Daniel. And it's Daniel in the lion's den. And again, it's those three things. Daniel was rooted in God. He was willing to stand up and be counted. And there was absolutely no compromise at all. Thank you, our free volunteers. We're going to stand and we're going to sing again as our children head out to their own groups. Let's stand and worship. Let's be seated, please. I'll now invite Daniel to read Daniel chapter 6. second Bible reading is Daniel chapter 6, Daniel in the Den of Lions. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them, so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We'll never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, 
may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing, so it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room, where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prays, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being, except to you, your majesty, be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you've put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the ring of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Jairus wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed, his dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. 
performed signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the, the Persian. May God bless this reading. Thank you so much. <clears throat> Let us pray. We have our intercession prayers now. O oh Lord our God, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Everlasting Father, we give you thanks for what you do, for your sustenance. We give you thanks because you are almighty God and therefore we praise your name. God Almighty, we just bring our word. We know you rule in the affairs of men. This morning, we bring to you Russia, Ukraine, war. You are the Prince of Peace. And therefore, we ask for your divine intervention. Touch the hearts of all those who are concerned that they will be able to reach an amicable solution over the negotiation table. We pray for all those who have been running for their lives. We pray for your support, for your comfort, that you strengthen them. Father, we ask that your kingdom, let it come. Come and reign in the affairs of men. Help our leaders to show their own selfish ambitions, Lord, so that this loss of human lives can stop. And Lord, we bring even our church families those who need your touch, those who are in the hospital, those who are at home, those that are not even known to us, all those that need your touch of healing. The scripture says you send forth your word and you heal them of all their diseases. This morning we send forth your word of healing to all of them. Father, touch them. And heal, O oh Lord. We pray for all those who have lost their loved ones. We pray that you comfort them. A vacuum has been left. Father, we pray that you fill this vacuum. Surround them with your love, O oh Lord. Remember Ken's family as they prepare for the funeral for the come March the 8th. Father, we ask that you take control. Be the center. All the plans and all those that will attend. Father, we pray that your name will be glorified. We pray for our partners, 
winter gardens and all missionaries. We ask that you continue to strengthen, you continue to support, you continue to give them that enablement to do your work which you have called them to. So that we bring our church meeting on Wednesday into your hands. We ask that you take control. That Lord, everything will be done in love. In the name of Jesus. We remember my sister who will be preaching this morning at Jesus' cross. We ask that you speak through him and bless your people. We also remember Pastor John who will be bringing your words shortly. Speak through our Lord and let every soul that hears the word, let them be blessed. We thank you for the way you have been using our leaders in this church, our pastors, and for the love that has continued to grow. We pray that on this hill, O oh Lord, your name will continually be praised and we continue to spread the gospel even far beyond Romford in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We shall now go straight to the words in order to manage our time. Pastor John. Thank you, Judy. I had the amazing privilege to work out in East Africa for uh, about five years in Tanzania and Kenya, working with some amazing people, lovely, warm, welcoming, generous, brave people. And uh, alongside that, I also had the opportunity to work with people who were Christians from all around the world. And heading back home, I decided it was time to have a, a break from Christian work. I felt God was calling me to do something different. And I found myself working in the NHS um, with the occupational therapy department at a local hospital. It was a bit of a wake-up call coming from this lovely, protected, Christian environment that I'd been in for those years to suddenly finding myself at lunchtimes not having a clue where to put myself, what to say, because the conversation was, well... I don't know, very Essex and very fruity, shall we say, to say the least. And I remember that first Christmas being given a present. I could guess what it was. It was clearly, it was a secret Santa present. And it was, it was clearly going to be a calendar. And you know that moment when you're like, oh no, <laughs> what have they given me? They know, they know I'm a Christian. They know that I've been a missionary out in Africa what is this calendar? Is it going to be one just to embarrass me to the core? And there was that bit of me that feared opening that present in front of everybody. Well, you know what? It was one of my most favourite presents ever from Secret Santa. It was a really, really funny calendar. And my, those colleagues that I worked with in that time become some really, really, truly great friends, people who I had great respect for and really enjoyed my time working with them. Our lives were completely different. 
and at times it was hard to know how to join in conversations or how not to join in a conversation. Social events and Christmas and things like that were sometimes difficult to know how to engage with without compromising my faith and without coming across as some kind of religious goody-goody that you know, has got nothing to offer back. It was tricky at times. And I wonder how many of us find ourselves in similar situations. Perhaps conversations at your workplace are a little different to what you'd have in church. Perhaps people are constantly using words that we wouldn't want to come out of our own mouths. Perhaps our bosses expect us to perhaps be less than honest as we sell their business and sell their goods. Or maybe our colleagues around us are just taking what they can out of things and, you know, why shouldn't we do the same? It's all perks of the job. The workplace, even our homes, can be tricky. There can be a real pressure to conform, a pressure to somehow fit in, to follow the crowd. How do we do so? Daniel, in these two passages, when I read it, he had to face that kind of pressure, didn't he? That, but his response, I think, is absolutely phenomenal. And thank you, um, Daniel, as well, for reading that whole chapter as well. Daniel, as we talked about earlier, was rooted. He was ready to deliver God's word for the people. He was willing to trust God regardless of what looked like was going to happen. He was willing to stand firm, even though his life, a number of times, even just in those two chapters, was actually under massive pressure and under risk. He refused to do the easy option. He refused to do and follow the crowd. Instead, he was willing to stand up and be counted for God to do the right thing. There was as Faseo showed us, no compromise. He refused to compromise in any way. He set his focus on God, and that was where he was headed. He trusted God. And his whole life, in every aspect, was focused on living with God at the centre, with God as his father. When I read those two passages, I don't know about you, but I read those, and I really felt in awe of Daniel. What an amazing man he was. The fact that he was ready to drop in at the, the drop of a hat and interpret the writing on the wall. He didn't have time to sit down and pray and to fast and to seek God what it meant. And God, do you, do you want me to interpret this? He was called upon and was told that he needed to interpret these words. And he was ready like that. Why? Because he was totally rooted in God. His relationship with God must have been day to day. It must have been moment by moment. It was real to him. It was relevant. He was in communion with God already. Are we in that place? Are we so rooted in God's word, in knowing him, praying always, worshipping him, keeping our focus on him to such an extent, like Daniel was? God ruled every part of Daniel's life. Does he rule every part of yours? Does he rule every part of mine? Are we ready to speak out and share our faith, to worship our God, to know what God is saying in any given situation? 
Daniel was because he was rooted in God. And another reason that I feel absolute awe of Daniel in these chapters that we read today is that he was so courageous. His messages were terrifying, weren't they? The first one, though, in that first chapter, he had to say these words. He said to the king, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Can you imagine going up to the queen and saying, Your Majesty, and then you have been weighed on the scales and been found wanting. Boris, <laughs> wonder what his comeback would be to us. It would be fast, wouldn't it? Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Well, that'd be like saying you've been given to the Russians. It's not a good message that he is having to give to his king. But he didn't water it down. How would you deal with such a situation if God gave you such a word? How do we say such words from God in a way that people can listen? How would we have that courage? How do we have the courage today in our own society to say what we know God is saying without being knowing that those words are often shunned, knowing that it can be ridiculed, knowing that what we need to say is often considered outdated and unacceptable to those around us. How do we do it? Are you willing to follow Daniel's example, to stand firm, to be courageous in our speech? God ruled every part of Daniel's life. Does he rule every part of your life? Mine? My goodness, the reality of these verses as they speak is challenging, isn't it? Trying to balance what God is saying with saying it in love and without compromise, that's hard. It might not feel so hard sitting here uncomfortably on a Sunday morning in our church, but when you go outside of these doors, when you're in the office tomorrow morning, when you're tired and grumpy at home, though maybe that's just me. When you're continuing in that lifestyle choice, which you know isn't God's best, but actually really, to be brutally honest, you like it. God ruled every part of Daniel's life. Does he rule every part of yours? Of mine? Then the second chapter, it sees Daniel excelling in life, doesn't it? He was one of the three chief leaders in the country with loads of other leaders underneath him. He was doing so well that the king decided to make him the top ruler. Surprise, surprise, the other leaders didn't much like that idea. They tried to find anything that he was doing that was wrong, that they could criticise and bring bad feedback about him and complain about him. But did you pick up on those words? They could find nothing. Why? because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. What amazing words over a person, isn't it? The men realised they wouldn't find fault in him unless they could set a trap which involved his faith. Clearly, Daniel hadn't hidden his faith from everybody in the land. It was a clear part of who he was and how and why he worked. Can the same be said of us? Do our friends see that? Do our family see that? Do our neighbours know that Christ 
is the one who heads up our lives? What about our colleagues at work? Do they know that God comes first, that he has precedence in our lives? The reality isn't always very easy, is it? There's a huge temptation to compartmentalise our lives, to have a part for, for being a Christian, coming on a Sunday morning, worshipping together, a part for being at home, a part for being in the office or in your club or your social group or your network of friends. Yet God needs to be in all and over all, every part of our lives. That's how Daniel managed to live so well. That's what the challenge was about trying to find fault in him. That's where we need courage to follow his example because God ruled every part of Daniel's life. Can the same be said of my life, of your life? These men were so jealous of Daniel that they set a trap. They play to King Darius's pride and suggest that everyone in the whole country should worship him and him only for the next 30 days. Whoa, imagine the pride to receive that and say, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Everybody in the whole of the England can come and pray to me and worship me. And imagine that man's pride. But he took it up. He loved it. He thought it was a great idea. Daniel's response. What does Daniel do? He heads home. He gets down on his knees. And he carries on praying to his God three times a day as he always has Bring in, it says, his needs and his concerns and his problems to God in prayer. Sometimes when we're threatened because of our faith, when perhaps we're mocked or we're treated a bit as an outcast because people consider us to be a bit boring or outdated or judgmental maybe even, what do we do? What is our response to that? Is it one of prayer like Daniel? Or do we tend to retreat and just keep quiet? You know, it's so not easy to do the right thing, is it, sometimes? It's not easy to stand up and be counted. It's not easy to know how to be relevant. That is such a challenge in this society, isn't it? How can we be relevant and let people know of God's love in a way that is, they want to hear it, that is acceptable without watering down our message? Do we work out how to be a blessing by getting on our knees and praying that God will make us that blessing to people, or do we simply retreat? It wasn't easy for Daniel. His life was actually at risk over this. People hated him because of his faith and his lifestyle. But Daniel refused to compromise. He stood up, and he became even more rooted in his faith, even though it was an awful time in his life. He knew that such a response might cost him his life. He didn't allow other people or fear to control him. Daniel's whole life was ruled in every part by God. Is your life ruled in every part? Is my life? And then we reach perhaps that most famous story of all in the book of Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den. It comes off our tongue so glibly, so easily. But you know what? It must have felt to Daniel that God wasn't answering his prayers right then. Being thrown into a den of hungry lions was 
not exactly going to South End for a picnic, was it? How much worse could it get for Daniel? Daniel's life is about to end because he did the right thing. Have you ever reached this point because of your faith? Have you ever got to a point where you've lost your job? Where we've lost friends or family because of our faith? Have you ever given up something or someone you love because you know that it's not God's best for you? We choose to follow God rather than compromising. We choose to stand up and be counted. But you know what? The results feel as though we're being completely uprooted. It's really hard. I wonder how Daniel felt. Daniel wanted and allowed God to rule every part of his life, even when it meant losing his life. He put his roots deeper into God. He trusted him completely to the point of where he was thrown into that den of lions. We know the ending of the story, don't we? It's easy for us to read this story and think, wow, how amazing is that? It's so cool. But Daniel didn't. I wonder how he really felt. He must have been absolutely terrified in that moment, mustn't he? He was a normal man. Being torn from his family, from everything he knows and loves and has worked towards and cares about. Complete injustice. He has done nothing at all wrong. He's followed God fully. He's done his best to the last. He must have wondered, when I'm thrown in that lion's den, how quick is this death going to be? God, make it quick, he must have prayed, mustn't he? The thought of being torn apart by animals must be horrific. But regardless, God tr Daniel trusted God and allowed him to rule every part of his life. Are we the same? In an incredible miracle, as we know, God rescues Daniel and King Darius turns around and he writes a proclamation telling everybody that they've now got to worship. Thank goodness, Daniel's God, the true God, the living God. And Daniel went from the death penalty to prospering once again. It was a happy ending. Not that Daniel knew that was going to be the case. He didn't. But he knew that he was going to trust God to the end because God ruled every part of Daniel's life. Does he rule every part of your life and of my life? These two chapters we've read are absolutely amazing, aren't they? Daniel is incredible. And it's easy to read them in a really simple, glib, Sunday school kind of way. We know the ending. But actually, these are two amazing stories where God performs incredible miracles and where Daniel comes out on top. But the reality, from Daniel's point of view, was that he had to have immense courage. He had to have phenomenal faith and unwavering commitment to God. Daniel was rooted in God. Daniel was willing to stand up and stay firm. He was unwilling to compromise in any way. He is an absolutely exceptional example to us. And if you're going into this week, knowing that you are wavering, reread these chapters when you get home and pray, God, be my God like you were Daniel's God. 
We need to grow our faith more, don't we? Whoever we are, wherever we are. My workplace colleagues are quite nice now. <laughs> but actually, they were really nice back then too. And I really have all the respect and love for those people, and I'm still in touch with many. God places us in different places, doesn't he? Have we got the courage, though, to be a Daniel, to stand up? Do people know that we are Christians and that God comes first? Or do we try and hide it because we're embarrassed? It's awkward. Do you take your problems and challenges to God or do you sit on them worrying or talking to other people rather than talking to God? Does God really rule over every part of your life, even over those parts that it's hard to give him? And sometimes there are parts, aren't there, that we don't particularly want to give to God because we like how we're living or we like a particular thing that we know isn't quite right. But God wants to be Lord of all those parts. Will we leave this building today changed because God's living word is speaking into our hearts? I want to be changed. I want to be rooted deeper into God, to be more courageous. I want to know that God rules over every part of my life. And my prayer is for each one of us this morning that we will have the courage to pray that kind of prayer too. God, be Lord of all our lives. Why should we do it? Because we know that God's way is the best way. We know that to have God in charge of every part of our lives is always going to be for the best because we know that we are truly safe in our Father's care and full control, don't we? Amen. We're going to finish by singing together Love Divine. Let's stand and worship our Lord. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for those beautiful words. And Father God, we just pray that you would change us. Lord, you have clothed us with clothes and robes that we don't deserve. We stand here knowing we fall so far short. And yet, Lord, we long to know you more. And I pray for each one of us here in this building and listening online this morning that you indeed would become ever more Lord of every part of our lives. Give us the courage to let you in and to allow your spirit to work through us. May you be given glory through our lives in every part this week. For we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Saviour, and our friend. Amen. Amen. We're going to listen to a song on the way out. Feel free to bless one another with it as you sit and reflect for a few moments. But feel free to, to leave as and when you're ready. There is tea and coffee, I believe, this morning. So that's lovely. God bless you.